Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. That's right. A podcast <laughs> all about the Bible, theology, and all things you, related to the Christian You know I don't faith. like it when you sing the title. I know. Well, that's why I didn't sing. I didn't sing. I just, I, I gave you a moment and you gave me this I real appreciate- pregnant pause and then <laughs> now we're here. We're I appreciate here now. that. So yeah, yeah, it's good good to be back. We had had a little bit of a break and now we're coming back yeah. off that break. Well, so. Yeah. If you, last week, we replayed one of our famous season yeah. one episodes, yeah. uh, John 14, where uh, as a technical person, I can hear we've grown a little bit since those early days of <laughs> production. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great episode, and we've had a lot to download. So if you missed that, go back uh, and look at that. But today is another special day in the Beaster, Brian. Yeah. Tell us why. Well, we have Chad Ragsdale with us again. He's uh, returning. Doctor Chad Rags- Ragsdale's returning to uh, to the Beaster with us again to discuss something else. Uh, in fact, another book that he's uh, he's written. Every uh, you know, he he writes books faster than we make podcasts. <laughs> episodes or something but anyway chad <laughs> chad we knew we knew chad at lincoln uh he, he's a longtime good friend and and also uh um now vice president of academic or i'm sorry academic dean we're yeah. trying to figure this yeah. all out he's got you know titles we practiced and all this stuff. beforehand yeah as you can tell yes. and so uh, he's academic dean at ozark christian college in uh, joplin missouri in, in central missouri and uh he uh, is also, he was just saying, and we'll talk a little bit about this probably when we get into the book, he's shifting into being a professor more of um, philosophy and apologetics yeah. is the title that you you gave it. And you talked a bit about apologetics the last time we had you on, and I think that's a that's a good good topic to, to discuss. But we're discussing this book, book and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the title. You, you called it Holy Grit, and it's really kind of an examination of the book of Hebrews. Tell me about that title. Where did that, where did I, I mean, it's very yeah. evocative. Don't get me wrong, it's, and and you use it throughout the book. I really like it. But where'd that title so, come from, and how did you? Yeah, uh, I, you know, <laughs> Hebrews, broadly speaking, is um, if there were a pastoral concern for Hebrews, it would be a concern for perseverance uh, that okay. that uh, followers of Jesus would uh, persevere in their faith, particularly during times of difficulty or challenge. Um, and so the, the pastoral theme for the book is perseverance. Um, I I also had the chance to read Angela Duckworth's book. Called, yeah. You know, it's a very famous book on just with the title Grit. Yeah. And, um, and all throughout that book, she just argues that grit is just sort of this secret ingredient to success. You know, that the, right. the difference between those people who succeed and those people who don't is oftentimes uh, just about their tenacity and their grit. And so okay. um, this is my attempt of basically approaching um, the the issue of grit from a spiritual perspective. So what does okay. what does holy grit look like um, in, in the life <laughs> okay. of the disciple? And so there's no play on words no, there at all. It's no. just okay. It is right. evocative though. I, I, it, catches, <laughs> it catches the attention, which is what you want in the title, I yeah. suppose. 
Yeah. We didn't discuss Ryan, have you read Grit? Did you read that book? I have not read that. It it was good. I read it in a a leadership course and, uh, um, oh, it's been several years ago now, but you know, when, when you first mentioned it, I thought, oh yeah, I've read that. And and it took me back to some of the, some of the things that she talked about and is, it's an interesting, uh, interesting read. It's, it's worth reading again, not a, you know, not a Christian book, not a, uh, from a theological viewpoint, but, uh, has, has a lot to offer there, I think in that. So why did you want to write this book? Then you've you've mentioned a little bit, and you talk yeah. about in the intro a little bit. But what what led you to write this book? Would you say? Um, well, I mean, practically speaking, um, one of the reasons I wrote this book is I've been teaching the Book of Hebrews for oh man, about every semester since two thousand five. Wow. Teaching the book okay. Of Hebrews. Wow. Um, it's it's one of the quirky things about our curriculum at Ozark that that Hebrews is one of those core Bible classes that our students take. And, um, huh. and so okay. I've, I've taught that class probably more than I've taught any other class at Ozark. Uh, and that goes back to the Gar- Gareth Reese days. Well, I mean, he was at Central right, or, up in Moberly. Um, oh, okay. Actually, okay. The, the reason why Hebrews has been required is kind of a twofold reason. One is a pastoral reason. We, we, we offer it right in that sophomore year okay. of the student's experience. And so some, some of the huh, issues okay. that are being talked about in Hebrews – really do resonate well with the sophomore level experience where students are just trying to decide, do I have what it takes to actually finish my my degree? Do I have what it takes to go into ministry and to persevere in ministry? Um, sophomore year, we've discovered is actually, it's it's probably the most challenging year in a student's uh, mm. uh, academic career um, because huh, that's okay. the moment where they're really get, starting to get serious about making a place their academic home they're getting serious about pursuing a particular career path. Um, retention levels in that sophomore year are oftentimes uh, a struggle because students will just kind of drop out of college uh, at that point. So, mm, so okay. we've required Hebrews as a way of just sort of spurring on perseverance for our students. Uh, but there's also okay. a theological reason. We we believe that Hebrews is a great bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sure. And so it brings together so many of the themes that are important all for, you know, all throughout New Testament theology. You know, themes like um, uh, atonement theory, uh, the covenant, things right. like that. So it, it brings together. Christology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my yeah. my teaching emphasis, as you mentioned, has been changing. It's been shifting. So my my credentialing now is more in the area of philosophy and apologetics. And I'm I'm handing yeah. over Hebrews to some other professors to teach. And so this is sort of my love letter to Hebrews. Just uh, it's okay. it's what you know. A lot of this is kind of the the byproduct of just years of teaching the classes. That I've learned right. and, and stuff like that. So, right. so that's one reason. But the, there's another kind of more immediate or pressing reason why I wrote the book, and that's that's because I I mean, the need for perseverance or holy grit has has always been pressing on the life of a disciple. Like you know, that's that's why again why the book was written because the the need right. for perseverance is, has always been um, real for the life of the disciple. But I think even more so today, right? Like um, one of the things I talk okay. about with my with my students is, um, and this observation isn't unique to me certainly, um, but if we went back in time 500 years, um, it would have been very hard for you to, as, as an individual, to maintain unbelief in your life. 
Right. Um, mm-hmm. It would have been virtually impossible, right. actually, to to live as a consistent unbeliever. Right. Flash forward to today, it's the opposite experience, where right. I have students who are very committed to Jesus. They're very committed to His kingdom. They're very committed to serving Him in His kingdom. But maintaining faith, just at times for them, it just seems so daunting and you know so so mm-hmm. impossible even in the face of so many the 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 in the face of the headwinds of our culture, right? So, um, right. you know, I started to notice just the number of uh, people in my life, the number of students, both former and present students, who are just really struggling to maintain their faith and at right. times losing their faith altogether. And I'm like. There, there needs to be a contemporary message from the book of Hebrews that encourages the disciple to persevere in their faith. And so this is my attempt to, to help in that regard. Yeah. It, it makes a ton of sense when you talk about teaching it, it, and you said it, it flowed out of that basically regular reading yeah. of it and of the book and teaching the book. You know, I, one of the words I, I was thinking when I was reading through it was wisdom. There's a deep wisdom yeah. in, in a lot of this and, uh, in, in the biblical yeah. sense, you know, the, 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 the application of this and, and, and it makes a ton of sense that you say that. So that, that yeah, that's fantastic. It's a, a really good. So how did you envision? So you said part of this, basically you're envisioning people who need, kind of that holy grit in their life, uh, taking hold of this book. Were there other, like you, did you envision people reading this yeah. kind of on their own? Or? So I, I wrote it, uh, intentionally to kind of, um, so it's obviously you could read it individually. And I imagine that's how a lot of people will engage with it. Um, but I also wrote it as a chapter by chapter kind of study through the book of Hebrews yeah. that if a small group were wanting to, to go through the book of Hebrews together, this book will be will facilitate that pretty nicely. There's discussion questions at the yeah. end of each chapter, and um, so uh, I, I kind of wrote it with both uh, with both groups kind of in mind. Um, I've heard from a lot of pastors that have already been asking me about the book. Or they're writing sermon series and stuff. Like Bruce, oh, nice! Try, yeah, using cool. this as a resource, perhaps, but. Um, That's great. So yeah, I, I would say my the the person that I wrote this book for though. Um, was I, I really wrote this book for my students and also um, because my kids are fastly reaching the age of my students. I, I also wrote it for my kids too, like okay. um, because whether they're struggling in their faith presently um, or not, there will come a point in their life where they will struggle with faith. I mean, I, I think that that's... Okay. I would almost say that that's universally true for a follower of Jesus in this world. I, I don't know mm. of, of really any disciple that doesn't walk with a, with a limp. Um, that we will, if we're not currently in a, a period of, of uh, difficulty or, or trial, we're about ready to enter into one. Um, and, okay. and so this, this was my attempt of giving, giving them that encouragement, um, perhaps before they even enter into that season of trial and testing to, to, to be prepared for it. I also, I also wrote this book for, uh, for the many people in my life that have friends that have loved ones that are in the process of um, Mm -hmm. maybe walking away from their faith. We use the word deconstruction a lot, you know, deconstructing their faith. But I, I wrote the book as an encouragement also for those people that, Hey, 
maybe there are some ways that you can pastorally engage with and intervene with the people in your life who are struggling with their faith. Maybe there's some encouragement that you can offer right. to them from the book of Hebrews. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the reader that I had in mind. Since you brought that up, I mean, you you, you started in your introduction, you told three kind of personal yeah. stories that, and I think, would you say they happened yeah. in the same yeah, week or, I mean, in a, in a very yeah. short period of time? And, uh, you know, all of them had to do with people that were walking away from the faith at, at various yeah. stages. You know, one, you mentioned a very, you know, very advanced, you know, someone who'd been a believer for a long period of time and, um, you know, had devoted a, a long part of their life to, to Christianity, yeah. walking away from the faith. And then you, you also have a, and you mentioned it several times along the way. You, you you know throughout the I would say that's an undercurrent of the entire book. Really, you you talk about this idea of deconstruction. You have one t uh, chapter that's yeah. titled that. Really, is it was it chapter six? Yeah, I exactly. think something that's like good. that. Or yeah. And and so what you know, give us a little bit about what how you think Hebrews addresses that. I mean, you, you've given us some of that already. Um, and then the other kind of question, and maybe you you want to deal more with this. Even the other question I have is we we talk Ryan and I talk about this all the time is is why do we seem to in this period of time right now seem to have this epidemic of of people who are uh, epidemics maybe not the right word, but uh, you know it seems like. That, that, that there are there are just a ton of people in, in very public uh, settings that are walking away yeah. from the faith. Well, that's that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I just and and you know I'm speaking in broad generalizations. Um, sure. But I would say that one of the reasons why this has become more common is um, well, let me back up. The, the first thing I want to say is this, there's, and I, I say this in the book as well, there's nothing wrong or even unnatural um, when it comes to asking questions or struggling with your faith. Um, right. And, you know, as an apologetics professor, one of the things I tell my students regularly is actually asking good questions of your faith is one of the best ways to strengthen your faith. If you never, mm, okay. if you never struggle through questions, um, if you never wrestle with God, then then you're going to have uh, a, a potentially a very fragile faith, uh, a, a very atrophied faith, um, and and actually that puts you even more at risk because the first time life picks up a rock and throws uh, throws this rock at your faith, it, it might shatter in a million pieces because you've never actually developed. Mm the um, the resilience that you need by asking good questions and struggling with these okay. so so one of the things I want to say right off is um, there's certainly nothing wrong with going through desert periods in your life of faith there's nothing wrong with asking questions or struggling with doubts and uh, and so one of the things I would want to say is you know we we need to give ourselves um, enough grace to, to, to ask those questions um, and uh, ask those questions in a way that I think, I think a lot of people, Brian, that, that, that deconstruct and end up leaving the faith. One of the reasons that they leave the faith is because they were grown, they grew up in the type of religious atmosphere, the type of church background that actively discouraged questions um, that actively okay. discouraged the wrestling with faith. And so the minute that they started wrestling with faith, they took that as a sign that faith must not be real, that God must not be real. 
And and um, John Marriott, who I, I reference a lot in the book, John Marriott wrote a book called The Anatomy of Deconversion. And one of the things that he discovered in his research is a large majority of the people that deconvert in their faith share the same background. They come from very fundamentalist, very rigid uh, religious backgrounds that actively discouraged um, the asking of questions and the struggling with doubts. Um, And so one of the things I really want to emphasize with my students and anybody that reads this book is there is there's nothing inherently wrong with asking questions or struggling with your faith. Right. So it's almost like if you use the analogy of a weightlifter, it's almost like those muscles atrophy yeah. because you're not you're not engaging exactly that right. part of your your the intellectual part of your faith. Well, yeah. And Alistair McGrath, yeah, so. he he uses a different metaphor for it, which I really like. Um, he he calls doubts our our faith antibodies. So um, hmm. okay, so yeah, inoculation like not, kind so of thing. Yeah. The person that always is sheltered from any sort of potential disease is also the person that's most susceptible to disease. Right. Um, right. Now, within limits, right? So if you if you expose sure. yourself to too much disease, that's going to overwhelm your body and it's going to destroy your body. Um, so right. and the same is true, I think, with with our lives of faith. Like if we expose ourselves to nothing but toxicity, to nothing but but doubts and struggles, or whatever, like that, that can indeed overwhelm our faith. But if we are right. completely sheltered. If we if we run af- scared from any sort of questions or doubts or whatever, the result of that is we're going to be more susceptible and more at risk right. to to doubts in our yeah. lives. Um, but but you asked another question, which which I think is is the really interesting question with a really long answer, perhaps. Um, <laughs> why why does deconstruction what we call deconstruction, which that that's a loaded right. term. Anyway. Yeah, I, I and we we've talked about this. I don't I don't think it's a good term, but I mean we yeah. don't get to choose. You know, why it's, it's, why is why is it so prevalent? I I think um, again I'm going to reference John Marriott again. Um, so he he was on our campus this spring uh, talking to our students, and uh, and he made he made a really good observation. Um, he, I wish I'd have known this observation before I wrote my book. Um, but he he made, he made this observation. He said. You know, the typical hero's journey um, is, uh, is, is the hero sacrifices himself or herself for someone else or for the greater good, right? Like that's the typical hero's journey. I'm going to mm, sacrifice myself right. because sacrificing myself is a better thing um, so that other people can thrive, so that other people can, can survive, Right. Right. The the contemporary hero's journey, though, has turned that on its head. The contemporary right. hero's journey says, I'm going to sacrifice everything else, including the people closest to me, including the deepest held beliefs that I have. I'm going to sacrifice everything else for myself. So, so I, can I can be, be myself, myself and, my most yeah. authentic right. self. Right. So right. what we've done is we've we've made ourselves the center of all inquiry, the center of all curiosity, right. the center of all discovery. We've made ourselves the center. And, and what's happened in the process is what C.S. Lewis called putting God in the dock or putting God on trial. Right. So now when I ask questions about God, it's, in, it's not in a curious way. It's in an accusatory sort of way. Um, right. God is put on trial. 
And if God doesn't conform to my authentic understanding of myself, if God doesn't fit that, or if religion doesn't fit that, or faith doesn't fit that, then I feel justified in leaving that behind. Because why? Because the most important thing, according to this new hero's journey, the most important thing is is me being me my most authentic self and the story of so many Christians that deconstruct again, not all of them. I want to be fair, but the story of so many Christians that deconstruct is actually that anti hero's journey where I'm going Mm. to sacrifice my family. I'm going to sacrifice even my faith in God. I'm going to give all of that up in the attempt to try to discover my true and authentic self. And of course that's a trap. Hebrews, Hebrews would say you're selling out your inheritance for a bowl of soup, but that's, right. but that's the decision that's being made by way too many yeah. people. That's very interesting. I mean, just this week on uh, my wife and I watched The Voice. That's kind of one of yeah. our uh, 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 things that we do together. And just this week, and of course, it's not the first time, but just this week, there was a guy talking about, oh, my my upbringing. And when I really, when I came out of the closet, then my family rejected me. My church rejected me. And for a long time, I rejected music. You know, so this is, it, it's fitting. I had never thought of it in exactly yeah. the way that uh, John Marriott had put it, but that's fantastic. I mean, it's basically, that's what he's doing. He was telling this kind of inverted hero story, and now he was, you know, glorifying this this um, image that that he he was accepting. And yeah, but the world, the outside world, has no formative factor on you. Right. Like it, it's there's nothing outside of you that can bring value to you. Only you can project right. value outwards. Right. That's right. And so that, and and I think that's when we've kind of talked about that. It's like some of these conversations sometimes that you get in these trying to reason with someone on something like that. But there's, if there's no, if there's nothing outside of them that we can agree upon, it's only themselves being projected out, not anything real being projected back to them. It becomes very difficult conversations. And and this is, this is one of the key insights from the book of Hebrews. Um, The book of Hebrews is very countercultural in this regard because I would say the main, if there were a secret for Holy Grit in the book of Hebrews, the secret is take your focus off of yourself and, right. and fix your eyes on Jesus. Um, the, yeah. the first three verses of the book give, the, give this epic picture of who Jesus is. He's the creator of the universe, the sustainer of everything. He's the exact representation of God. Like it's this... It's this grand picture of who Jesus is. And it's almost as if the author of Hebrews is telling us, if you want to have spiritual tenacity, the first thing that you have to do is you have to stop gazing at yourself in the mirror and reflecting on how hard you have it. And instead, turn your focus to to a magnificent Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, um, and who has saved you completely, Hebrews chapter seven. Like that's, I think that's, if I were to summarize the secret of Holy Grit, it's just a diversion of attention back towards Jesus. Right. Uh, and going along with that, I really liked what you had to say about that we are not our own, yeah. you know, that, that it's, it's, it's that, you know, that's the other part of that. We belong to him, yeah. you know, he, we, this is what it means to, to be in faith is uh, we placed ourselves in his, um, you know, we're, we're being supported by him. We're placing ourselves in his in his um, life, essentially, yeah. as you you quoted Paul there. So. Yeah, he, he was saying, yeah, and, and I would appreciate yeah. that. Uh, go ahead. Well, I mean, just to piggyback on that, you know, 
Hebrews chapter 8 talks about how we're in a covenantal relationship with Jesus or with God in, in Jesus. And, you know, one of the things yeah. I, I play with with my students, Brian, is, you know, we talk about what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? Right. That's, that's a nice little buzzword that we use. Like, I, it's not a religion, it's sure. a relationship, right? Um, but Hebrews actually yeah. defines the parameters of what this relationship is. It's actually an exactly. abiding covenantal relationship. Yeah, and it's true, and I mean, I get what you're, you know, in that chapter, you kind of talk about, well, we got to define this relationship, but, but, you know, the, the the flip side of it, I was thinking as well, is is the fall is a result of broken relationship, you know, and that's that that it manifests itself, not only our brokenness with with God, but also with one another and with creation itself, you know, and with within ourselves, <laughs> we're we're broken ourselves, so we 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 can't, you know, for us to define our own. Uh, being is going to be a a, a marred image of, of what we were intended to be. Brian, that so, would have been a better title for that chapter. I should have titled that chapter DTR. Uh, define define the relationship. Define the relationship. <laughs> that would be PTSD good. for some people. <laughs> or it's complicated, something like that. It's, so. not, it's not you, it's me. Um, something like that. Or it's not me, it's you. I don't know. Yeah, so. something like that. No, what I was going to say is like the the idea that atrophy. Uh, I'd gone through Hebrews with my small group. Um, it's been it's several months ago, but we kind of we spent some time on that opening of chapter two, two where it says like pay attention to your faith and don't drift away. Yeah. And right. just that word drift away. Like I okay, I'm not the I'm not the Bible scholars you guys are. <laughs> I use my blue letter Bible doing some of the stuff, but it had had some like nautical ideas like if this you know you're being pushed by the current you're being pushed away from this and that it's so easy if we're not actively engaging in this you know yeah. what well, you talked about doubt can have benefit yeah. well if you have some doubt and you're wrestling with it you're you're exercising those muscles you're not letting the current just keep pushing you right. away and that's that's such an important thing to, because it's if you're not exercising you're getting weaker you're you know there right. you're letting the current just shove you further out yeah. uh, out to sea and it's in, we have we have the we have an anchor stuff that you talked about as well there in in uh I can't remember what chapter you, you you're the one who knows Hebrews yeah. better than I much better than I so here's the number one question I got for Hebrews who wrote it I mean you've been teaching it for <laughs> yeah, so long so um some people run away from this question I I actually run towards this question I I have a okay. pretty yeah. I have a pretty strong opinion on this I I think Apollo was okay. the author of the book really uh, okay I, I think okay if you if you read the profile of Apollos in Acts 18 um and uh, uh, and lay that side by side with what we know from the book of Hebrews. He fits really well. Um, hmm, another thing okay. that that is an argument in his favor is the other book that Apollos is mentioned in in the New Testament is First Corinthians. And so we know that Apollos was a very strong leader in the church in Corinth, so strong that he was being compared uh, favorably to Paul. Um, and some of the metaphors that are used in the first Corinthian letter show up sure. in the book of Hebrews, like uh, the milk metaphor that Paul uses, um, yeah. the race imagery in first Corinthians nine shows yeah. up in Hebrews. Um, so I think that uh, Apollos likely had received and read the letter of first Corinthians and um, wrote the letter of Hebrews, probably sent it to Rome through Priscilla and Aquila, who were back in Rome um, after after their brief exile. 
And this, this letter was written to those Jews who, like Priscilla and Aquila, were kicked out of Rome and then found their way back to Rome after that initial persecution. Um, so right. I think Apollos fits huh. the, the profile. I think, um, to be honest, th- this is a little bit more controversial. Um, I've become more persuaded in recent years that maybe Priscilla is not as crazy of an idea as I at once thought. Um, hmm. I think okay. there's some decent arguments that that perhaps she might be the author. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that nobody thought of Priscilla as the author until literally the modern, uh, more modern times. But right. That's also right. true of Apollos. So. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that uh, that was a much much more serious answer than you ever thought was, you were going to get. I was really right? just throwing it out there to be dumb. <laughs> I, I spent a whole week kind of on authorship on in my Hebrews class. I spent a whole week on it. I'm, I'm very, wow, I'm very okay. interested. In it. Okay. That's cool. So. Well, it, it, it makes a difference. And and the other question I was going to ask you is related to this. When we think about introductory issues, genre, yeah. uh, you, you, it seems like Thomas Long's um, uh, book a lot. Yeah. And it, I don't know if you quote it more than any other, but uh, uh, it's quoted frequently. And and he, you know, and you even mentioned this in a footnote you or an endnote. You, uh, um, I don't know what it'll be in the print, print edition. You, by the way, thank you very much. You shared a pre-publication yeah. Yeah. Uh, copy so we could we could look at it. I appreciate that. Uh, but anyway, he he uses the term preacher instead of right. writer, and and he sees it kind of as a sermon, right. uh, which I've seen before. There's you know it lacks some of the typical epistolary features up front, yeah. that kind of thing. What what's your thought on genre? Yeah, so yeah, Tom Long. Um, I appreciate his commentary a lot. Um, it's Actually, it's one of the, if not the most readable commentary that that's out there on the book. It's it's really good. Um, and Tom Long's own background is in preaching. He's he's uh, a professor of preaching, and uh, and so he sees Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, as primarily a, a preacher. Um, and, and so he's not the first one that had this idea, but but basically the argument is that Hebrews uh, is uh, a written down sermon. Uh, with uh, a written down sermon with uh, an ending, chapter 13, that looks more like a letter. Um, so it's got it's okay. got an ending kind of tagged on to it. Um, there's actually this verse towards the very end of, of the letter in, uh, in, in um, uh, Hebrews 13, where the author says, um, I thank you for bearing with uh, this word of exhortation, for I've written you only a short letter. Um, and so he uses the word um, the word for epistle in that verse. So he acknowledges that it is a letter. Okay. But that phrase, okay. that phrase, word of exhortation, that specific phrase in Greek, is used in the Book of Acts as a reference for for a homily or for a sermon. Okay. Um, so that's why a lot of scholars think of Hebrews as basically a sermon dressed up to look like a letter. Okay. That's written down and sent. I mean, the you know the whole point of a letter is it's it's communicating at a distance. Somebody who can't communicate face to face. Right. So. Yeah. And and one oh, thing to point out with this, your book is not a commentary on Hebrews. You know, we talked about like Tom's is the most readable commentary, but the, yours is not a commentary. Yeah. yeah I, I'd say in the best. Yeah, well, people have asked me what what lane this book falls in, and it's it's not a commentary. It's also not a devotional um, book. Um, it's kind of in between those two. The, the best way, and I, I hesitate to even use this comparison because I'm not anywhere close to being in the same league as this guy. Um, but I kind of took my inspiration from Eugene Peterson. Um, 
Eugene right. Peterson uh, wrote a number of books um, on biblical books. So he wrote a book on Jonah called Under the Unpredictable Plan. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. He wrote right. one on the Psalms called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And, um, right. and that's kind of the inspiration that I took for this book is I wanted, I wanted okay. it to be substantive, a little bit more substantive than what you find in a typical devotional. Um, but I didn't want it to be bogged down in the exegesis and the Greek and the, you know, what you would find more in a commentary. Um, and so right. uh, I don't, I don't know what you'd call it a devotional commentary or whatever, but that's kind of the link that I'm in. <laughs> it, in the best possible sense, and I want you, to, I want you to hear this as a compliment. I, I see it as um, it, it's it, the best possible example of kind of sermons, mm. where where you you grapple with the text itself, yeah. and you draw meaning from the text, but then you make application yeah. to current situations, which which I think you know. Again, and I want you to hear it in the best possible sense. It's 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 a, it has a sermonic nature well, to I, it. I think in that. that that's, I appreciate <laughs> you know that, in, in good good sermons. I don't take that. Um, <laughs> I don't take that as a criticism at all. I, I think that's exactly what I was trying to do with each Good. chapter. Each chapter is connected to all the others, obviously, but but each chapter also is it has a distinct message on its own. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I I would say that's a good um, summary of my approach. Yeah. Well, thanks. So as a uh, off the topic of the book, as a, someone who has taught Hebrews for you know a lot of years, what it, what have been some of the what are the big insights that your students take away from, you know, like, are there any aha moments for them as you walk them through Hebrews or anything like that, that really seems to resonate with them as, as you work through it? Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the exercises that I do, um, if it's not on the first day of class, it's on the second day of class. But one of the exercises that I do with my students is I have them read through the book, uh, all in one setting. Um, got got that idea from Dr. Lowry years ago in, in seminary. Um, so I have them read through the book all in one setting. And I I have them make a couple different lists. I have them list some, some big ideas or big themes. I also have them list just some questions, some unresolved questions that, that come up as they read the book. And then we discuss that together. And and what I what I encourage them to think through, Ryan, is what are what are the unique contributions of this book that would be missing if it weren't a part of the New Testament canon? So, so what are some of the unique things that we can get? And, and there's, there's a handful of those things. Like one of the first things that, that comes to uh, uh, our attention is everything that Hebrews says about covenant. Um, you know, covenant is a, it's a Bible word, right? It's a, it's a word used by uh, Bible people. But it's also a rather rare word in the New Testament. There's not a ton of discussion in the New Testament right. about what exactly it means to be in covenant with God. That's really one of the unique contributions um, that Hebrews makes. The, the, um, the atonement theology of Hebrews 7 and Hebrews chapter 9, um, you know, we get some of that atonement theology in Pauline letters, certainly. But but Hebrews has a distinct um, a distinct way of linking together the Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, especially the Day of Atonement, with what happened on the cross. And I've I've had a lot of students, Brian, that they'll they'll read that section in Hebrews seven through ten. They'll read that section, and all for them, like, oh, so that's the reason why Jesus had to go to the cross. 
So that's the reason why a sacrifice had to be made. And it's something that we take for granted. But I think a lot of people in our churches, like they know, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But if you ask them why that had to happen, they struggled to formulate an answer. Why did the cross have to happen? That's why I was saying sermons in the best possible sense, because, you know, if, if someone who has, has grown up in the church and heard sermons and sermons and sermons and, and has never heard that, that, that depth, it's like, yeah. you know, that makes you wonder sometimes. But the, the, your insight yeah. about covenant, I'd never thought of before, but just roughly speaking, there's, there's about the same number of times the covenant is mentioned inside of Hebrews than it is in the rest of the uh, rest of the New Testament, yeah. more or less. And that, yeah. yeah, so it's and, really and interesting. The times that it's mentioned in the rest of the New Testament, it's oftentimes in association with the Last Supper or the Lord's sure. Supper. Uh, but you don't get a, you don't get really a, a an in-depth description of what yeah. covenant means in right. that. Yeah, it was good. Um, I thought that section was you really know, good. Um, other other insights are certainly Melchizedek always comes up. You know, students okay. students ask about that, um, and I love teaching Hebrews chapter seven because it's so weird. You know, the reference to Melchizedek, but <laughs> right. um, uh, but it, it's actually what he's doing in Hebrews chapter seven is he's just exegeting Psalm one eighteen. Yeah, and if if you're gonna, ex- I'm sorry, Psalm one ten. And if you're gonna yeah. exegete Psalm one ten, you're gonna have to deal with Melchizedek. And so that's that's all he's doing there, and it's it's really interesting to track his approach to that to that particular. Yeah, people song. want it. There's some really weird theories out there from that from that passage yeah. for sure. Yeah, because he has yeah. no beginning and no end. Right. You know, like yeah. where did he come from? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he, even amongst the Jews, Melchizedek and the two figures that were these sort of mysterious superheroes to the Jews yeah. were Enoch, Enoch and Melchizedek. Yeah. 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 Uh, because they're both shrouded in mystery. Yeah, the Enochic, you know, I was, you know, the, when you start reading some of that stuff, it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> He's everywhere. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're comic book heroes. Yeah, they're, they're comic yeah. book heroes. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, they, they were the, yeah, they were the, the, uh, the Marvel, uh, in the Marvel universe mm-hmm. of the, of the first century Jewish people and before. So, the, did, Ryan, did you have something else you were going to bring up? Was there? I thought there was oh, another part I, of the so book. Oh, so you yeah. re- referenced. Okay, I'm going to say a social media platform that I saw you on Twitter. You know, I know yeah. that's kind of like your venting zone. I th- that's what you said to us last time. It's kind of your venting <laughs> zone. Times. Yeah, but I think it kind of goes along with some of this. You read a, another book recently, uh, Biblical Critical Theory. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. Uh oh, he's he's yeah. going to show it to us. There it is. Yeah. So, yeah. how do you see, like, I mean, is how do you see this stretching our, our muscles? Like thinking about reading. Like, how do you see us stretching our muscles here? You know, this apathy. You're reading. You're in. You're in these books. Like, if a common person in the pew, what does it look like for us? You know, is it reading books like that? Is it what? What does it look like for us to actively engage ourselves in that? Um, you know, I, I read the book. Uh, Was it? Love, love your God with all your mind. Like, what does it look like for us to actively engage our mind? What would you say as you're actively engaging your mind to, to kind of develop this grit, this uh, strength, this muscle to live in, in the context that we're in? Why is this so important for us to be having these conversations around some of these, the deconstruction ideas and so forth? Yeah, Col- Colossians 2.8 tells us to be careful not to be carried away by all sorts of hollow and deceptive philosophies, right? right? And I think what Paul says in Colossians 2 is just as, if not more, operative today. 
because it's so easy in our chronically distracted culture um, uh, where we're constantly being bombarded with images and videos and ideas um, to the point of distraction. It's so easy for us to be carried away by hollow and deceptive philosophies. And um, Kevin Van Hooser, he says that um, the the best immunization against being carried away by hollow and deceptive philosophies is the brain. Actually learning how to use our brain and learning how to actually think what, so not isolating ourselves from culture, but actually engaging our culture with our brains, with, you know, a transformed mind, not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, um, I, I think that Christians probably need to re-engage with the spiritual discipline of reading. And obviously reading scripture is a big part of that, but also just reading good, godly, encouraging books is a part of that too. Not everybody is going to read a 600-page book on cultural analysis like this, although it's a fantastic book. Um, but I, I encourage all my friends and family to, to at least be in the discipline of exposing yourself to good content, good reading content, um, whatever your level might happen to be. Um, you know, Paul, Paul talks about how physical training has some value, but training in godliness has eternal value. Right. And I, I think that one of the disciplines that we need to re-engage with is actually exposing ourselves to good, solid biblical content that we're reading um that's easier said than done because we sure. do not live we're, we're actually back in an oral culture yeah. i think our, our culture has become or, an oral culture or visual mm. i mean um, the, the videos yeah. and that kind of thing so yeah i, I was thinking Which you is know sad for putting out a book but um <laughs> <laughs> you got an audio version right <laughs> well we can talk about yeah. it on a pod on a podcast so but yeah, yeah. But it, you know it, when we had some of the the issues over the past several years we've had and we've seen the churches very poor response. I mean, and, and you you quote some of this. You you know talk about twenty five percent more or less uh, of church members have not come back after the pandemic, and yeah. you, you know these kind of things. And um, you know I, I've said there's a generation that has been essentially discipled not by the church but by news channels. You know that that's yeah. that's essentially been the discipleship. And now it just occurred to me as you're talking. You know we we're having a generation now that is being discipled by TikTok. Which is yeah. a, another kind of frightening, Absolutely. frightening idea, um, and so yeah, taking the time and it's hard for me. I mean, Ryan will tell you he's constantly on me about my failure to read, and, and you know, and and, yep. and it's <laughs> it's not that I don't don't enjoy it, but there are so many other things that that are going on. You have to actively you know make it happen, um, you know, and, yeah. and and fit it fit it I, in, find a place to fit it into your life. I'm just I'm a broken record on this, but I I just plead with my my students, especially like I'm not asking you to delete your social media. I mean, I would be a hypocrite if I asked you to do that because I'm on social media myself. Um, I'm not asking you to, to to delete your social media. I'm not asking you to to turn off YouTube or whatever. I'm just pleading with you. Can you engage your brain while you're taking all this stuff in? Right. Actually, think about it. 
examine it. The the metaphor I like to use is flip, like flipping over a river rock and looking on what's the other, what's on the other side. Like, so don't just watch TikTok videos. Actually analyze how is this discipling me? How is it shaping me? What's the message here that it wants me right. to adopt or or to to consume? Um, I just think Christians need to start maybe at that very base level. Like let's, let's actually start thinking our way through the culture rather than just mindlessly being discipled by it. I was going to say, you know, you talked about the, just the importance of this. You talked about like you had your students go, what would 500 years ago, it had been impossible for you not to believe in God. And so Brian and I have read some of uh, a secular age by Charles Taylor. We've gotten, three quarters of the way through it, but he talks about this exact issue that it was, you know, there's that's a, that's a little jab at me, by the way. It is a this. jab at him. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm the one who's, I'm the one who's I'm holding on, hey, waiting on him. That's not an easy book. Uh, no, it's not, yeah, but it's, no, it's, 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 been, it's been fantastic. And we use it, we use, I mean, it has, it's the kind of book that transforms the way you think. Like immediately when you're talking about cultural headwinds and everything, you know, we're thinking in terms of social imaginaries and, you know, it, it transforms the way that you, uh, it's it's that big of a book and that important of a book. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, he and, talks about- And you're the one who, who, who uh, finally got us to read it, by the way. Yes. But anyway, go ahead. But just that there's this, but you haven't read it, have you? Yeah, he has. Yeah, he read it. Yeah, he read it. But, you know, he talks about this constant, there's a constellation of beliefs out there now that, you know, there's Christianity is just one piece of that. And we have to be able to see when someone else is talking to us, is this a constellation, one of the other stars in the galaxy that we could believe in, or is this true Christianity? And, And if we can't discern that, if we can't, because again, 500 years ago, now it wasn't all good. They were being fed, you know, theologically and so forth, but it it was certainly was uh there was a smaller number maybe of things that were off off the the tracks um and so just yeah. kind of preparing our minds exercising our minds to go you're going to get bombarded with so much that is going to be totally off of the reservation as far as orthodox christian belief and can we recognize it and not let i always talked about uh you know, it's kind of like COVID. There's a virus. Can we let not let a mind virus get in there? And it starts and it starts small and then it spreads a little bit more. And then before you know, you're very sick and you don't, you know, the, 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 it's you're on your deathbed theologically or, or well, spiritually. I, <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting because I've been having versions of this conversation quite a bit with my 13 year old daughter recently. And she's she's very she's extremely compassionate. Um, she is, um, the best parts of my wife. Cause, uh, she's, she, my, my daughter leads with her heart, you know? And so she's very loving. She's very compassionate. And so already at the age of 13, she's really struggling with the fact, like she has friends who talk to her about, well, you know, I heard, I heard Christians are hateful or Christians just, you know, they hate, right. they hate gay people or all this other stuff. And she, she's really struggling with that. She's really yeah. struggling with, like with her heart. Like, is that true? Like, are, are we hateful? Are we, you know? And so one of the things that we just have talked about over and over again is kind of this idea, like, I don't want you to stop being compassionate. I don't want you to, to stop loving people, certainly. But I, but I need you to understand um, not everything that's said in this world or in this culture is true. Mm-hmm. And, and you, need, you need to stop making assumptions that you're mm-hmm. the wrong one. 
right? Um, as if, as if you're, you're always the one on defense. Um, and I, sad, I don't know yeah. if that's making sense or not, but I, I think, does, I yeah. think a lot of, a lot of Christians in this culture, a lot of Christians in this world, we've kind of come to see the message of culture as being the default position. Right. Um, like it's, it's, it's just the, that's, that's what's naturally true. And so for me as a Christian, I'm always on defensive. I'm always in this posture where I'm constantly defending what it is I believe. And what I want my daughter to understand is, no, you don't like the, the message that you're being given by the culture around you or by your friends at school or whatever, like that's, that's not necessarily true and you don't have to act like it's true. Right. You know, but, but she's really struggling. Yeah, that's 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 good. I, I yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I think I think you're right, and and we see, you know, I'm thinking about even peers that I had in in college that now, yeah, in their social media, are assuming the cultural narrative and yeah. and you know basically criticizing Christianity while while remaining Christians. Yeah. criticizing Christianity in the church according to the to the cultural model that, that, that that's been and given. I think them. that's what it looks like to be carried away by hollow yeah. and deceptive philosophy. Yeah. When you yeah. I love studying philosophy. Um and I, I love studying philosophers that disagree with me on some of the fundamental sure. points of, of what have I believe. To. You have to. Um, yeah. yeah, but but to be carried away by those philosophies yeah. is to stop questioning them. To right. just accept them as givens or as truths. And that's what I worry about. Like to circle back around to this deconstruction argument, I, I think that a lot of what gets called deconstructionism is just, frankly, Christians being getting being carried away by right. some of the hollow philosophies of this world and accepting them as true. Right. I, I do want to come back to one 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 other thing, and and this may be the last thing I have, and we'll see if there's anything else that we've forgotten to mention that you really wanted to to get to, Chad. But um, you mentioned that there's you, there's only one stream that we talked about earlier of reasons that people deconstruct and uh, de- deconstruct their faith. Again, I hate that term, but, yeah. but the, yeah. the 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 um, I shouldn't say hate. You know, now I'm going to get criticized for saying hate, but the uh, the. Uh, um, you mentioned a couple of other things, and one of them is you, you talk about um, those who've been hurt by the church, for example. And, yeah. and again, I've seen the same thing you have, that sometimes they become, they, they go from being some of the most um, dedicated and devoted Christians to becoming some of the biggest um, um, enemies of the church. Or, yeah. um, I'm trying to think, I can't think of the word, but basically, basically speaking against very strongly the church in yeah. the strongest possible terms. You, you mentioned that, and you mentioned, you know, bad behavior of Christians sometimes. That there, there, there is. There, there are examples of, of Christianity, and sometimes they're the ones um, that are most in popular culture, you know, that, that, that you get, you know, they, they make the news and, and this kind of thing. And, um, you know, the people then leave the faith saying kind of what your daughter is saying. Well, if that's what a Christian is, I'm not I'm not a hateful person. If Christians right. are this this thing, then so I thought I'd come back around to that and see if you had any that, anything you want to say. That would I. W- so this is purely anecdotal, but um, but every year in my apologetics class, I have students interview a nonbeliever and ask them, why are you a nonbeliever? The number one reason is because of suffering that exists in the world. That's the number one reason. Okay. But the number two reason that people give is because of experiences in the church, 
uh, hateful Christians that they've met, hypocritical right. Christians that they've met. And of course, all of that needs to be unpacked. Like, sure. what, do you, what do you mean by hateful? Like, or what do you mean by hypocritical? Right. right. The charge of hypocrisy is always kind of interesting to me because when you charge a Christian with being a hypocrite, you're actually affirming Christian belief. Right. Um, right. Because other, otherwise, the charge of hypocrisy literally makes no sense. Right. That, um, so my rejoinder to that is always my rejoinder is well, then you need to come to the church because there'd be one less hypocrite. And the yes, interesting thing yes. is the interesting thing is invariably, I, and I've said that dozens of times, literally, invariably, what they will say. I mean, every single time they'll say, "Well, I'm not saying I wouldn't be a hypocrite." <laughs> you're, like, <laughs> you're like, what? Yeah. You know, anyway, I, I just yeah, I, I, I wish people would understand. Listen meeting individuals that disappoint you um, or individuals that don't live up to the gospel message, at least in your opinion or from your perspective, um, I'm not sure if that's a good justification for dismissing the gospel altogether. Matter of fact, if you understood the gospel in its entirety, you would realize that that should send you closer to the gospel because it it makes you realize how much, how, how much all of us need grace and right. forgiveness and, you know, um, but that invariably that, that, that excuse is used and it breaks my heart. And it also frustrates me because on the one hand, on the very human side of things, like I get it, right? Like you've had, sure. you've had a really bad experience. You've had people right. in your life that have been mean or judgmental or hypocrite. So like on a human level, I get it, yeah. but it also just breaks my heart because, um, the bride of Christ should never be used as an excuse for not finding right. your way to Jesus. But that's right. that's what a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. as you know, again, as you said in the book, you know, it's it's our identity in Him is really what's what's at the at the heart yeah. of, of this this whole thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, was there anything else, Chad, that you wanted to bring up? I mean, again, um, well, go ahead. This is this is actually so you guys are you guys are uh, getting the first public announcement of this. The the release date the release date has just been identified. The book will be released on June sixth. June June sixth. All right. We are we are officially launching the book. It'll be available on Amazon. (laughs) It'll be available on Amazon uh, several days before that. Okay. but we are officially launching it on June 6th. June 6th. And the publisher, who's who's the publisher? So the publisher is OCC Press. So okay. we this okay. is a new initiative that uh, that Ozark is rolling out. And we we hope to roll out. Uh, we've got a plan to roll out uh, many more books in the years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've we've co-op or we've collaborated with a publisher in Nashville, Tennessee, um, who's working along with us to uh, to basically create our our own publishing? Cool, very house. cool. Well, that's wow. that's an yep. exciting thing too. So, yeah. yeah well, yeah. June sixth. Then look for it in, uh, in on Amazon and anywhere fine Christian books are sold. So presumably, yes, yes that's right. <laughs> Excellent. And what's the name of the bookstore that you're you're thinking about instead of the Berean bookstore? Ryan is he, he's got an idea for Laodicean Laodicean <laughs> bookstore. I just had a conversation about there seems to be okay I'm gonna share yeah. it anyway here in the just too much positive like 
blessings and curses. We got to talk about the curses. We always talk about the blessings, but we never talk about the curses. His, his idea is a line of things like you'd see in a Marin, but with, you know, these, you know, like the uh, art uh, boards, uh, the paint boards, instead of like, for I know the plans I have for you and it's, you know, but the negative one. Yeah. You, you'll be in, you'll be in right. exile for 70 years. You know, yeah. That kind of thing. I just, I just don't know how many housewives are going to buy yeah. that. Um, See, but it's yeah. not about the housewife. It's, it's all about. It's, it's ironic. It's, it's fantastic. It's going to sell like hotcakes. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to. Hey, I didn't mean to pre- model? Irony. That's our business model. Irony. <laughs> Final note. Oh. I bought it. I got a T-shirt once that said, "God predestined me to have free will," and a guy at a Mexican restaurant, a waiter, comes up and he goes, "That's a logical fallacy." That's hilarious. And I'm like, there's got to be more shirts like this out in the world. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Oh, anyway. Well, thanks well, so Chad, much, Chad. Chad, it's been good to have you. You mentioned Twitter. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? It's Or is that, is that uh, the... C.A. Ranting. Okay. 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 I didn't know C. if you wanted to publish that one or not since you said it's for ranting. <laughs> and then uh, w- w- where else can where else can people find you? Obviously on Ozark's so, website. Yeah. So... Um, I, I do uh, blog intermittently. Um, I actually love to blog. Um, I, I think blogging gets a bad rap. I, the reason that I blog is mostly for myself, just to kind of untangle my own thoughts. So if you want to see me actively untangling my own thoughts online, um, it's uh, chadragsdale.com is, my, is okay. my blog, chadragsdale.com. Well, you so. mentioned that. And actually, I, I said to you, there was one of your blog posts that I would like to have you come back sometime and we'll talk about maybe in, in, in more detail, uh, confronting my inner deist. I, I shared it with our listeners and, oh, yeah. and uh, I think it's a yeah. really, I think it's really, uh, it's good. It's a good, uh, good thing to think through. So excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, thanks. I, I would, I would encourage not, not that I'm any sort of expert in this area or whatever, but I, I would encourage anybody listening to this. If, if, if you're a person that is at all inclined to write, the, the best way to become a writer is just to write. And um, and so I that's one of the reasons I love blogging is not necessarily because hundreds or thousands of people are going to read it just because I like I like the opportunity just to kind of collect my thoughts and get them out there and, mm. and get better at this task of writing. So that's right. the way I, reason I do it. That's good. Right. Very good. Well, thanks right. for yeah, thanks for being on again, Chad. We appreciate it. It's been a good good conversation. It's been hope my you'll, pleasure. It's always a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah hope you'll hope you'll stay on again or come on again. So, absolutely. All right. Well, well thanks so much, Will uh, Brian. I'll see you, Chad. I'll see you some other time. But Brian, I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> next then. week, we'll see you next Tuesday. All right. See you. Bye. Bye.